Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice, Dice in, in My Mind. So we were just talking, actually. So I'm talking with Steve Matthews. This is one I've teased for a while. Um, Steve and I started gaming together 20 years ago now, is it? Holy cow. It yeah. wasn't just yesterday? Yeah, it was. Like um, last week? Like last week. 20 years ago. This was at the birth of, well, yeah, pretty kind of, well, maybe at the teenage years of online gaming, let's say. Yeah, that so sounds all right. We, none of us knew each other. We were all from other parts of the country. Um, Steve, you're up in Connecticut, or I, I'm going to get it wrong. No, you're right. Connecticut, the greater Hartford okay. area. Okay. So Steve's up in Connecticut. I'm here in Milwaukee. We had folks in Georgia and South Carolina. We had all these different groups playing. Well, I don't know how it came up, but we were gaming. It was probably we were one of the online games. So we were doing online gaming. Yep. Um, you mentioned you were in a band. Um, yeah, I don't know why it just like randomly came out or we were chatting or something. Yeah. And it was all. And now let's bear in mind when we're talking about that chatting is typing. We, none of yeah. us were talking. So you sent me the discs of your band, Grace L. Green. So I actually sent them the mail, huh? Yeah. You sent them in the mail to me, which <laughs> is, I mean, you know, this was before the iPod came out. So this was or before really the iPod had taken hold. Um, so this was probably 2001, early 2002. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right about it. Yeah. And um, then obviously the gaming, you know, the gaming kind of slowed down. We got married, had kids. And then I started looking. I'm like, I wonder what happened to some of the guys we gamed with. And I knew the band because I had your discs. Mm-hmm. Um, went online to YouTube and found you and then connected with you on Facebook again. So. Yes. But we, none of, the other thing is, is none of us really knew each other's names. I I knew yours because of the music. Um, yeah, we knew our gamer tags way better. Yeah, we knew our gamer tags. I was I was you. How did you pronounce yours? I can't remember. It's it, it was Estelia Bain. Yeah, Estelia Bain, and I was you were. I was so much more creative. I was Darth Invictus. So I, well, I mean, we were playing a Star Wars game. You had yeah, to I something. I was I was hooked on because I was studying at the time. I was hooked on the 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 history of Saul Invictus and religion and all that. So Invictus mm-hmm. stuck with me. Yeah. But so you're a, so here we are gamers. I'm thinking all of us are nerds, right? Pasty <laughs> whites. Where you know I'm I'm a, I I actually was had a girlfriend or got married, so I felt like I was a little bit of an outlier. Turned out, no, I was not. Not only that. Um, you were a cool rocker, so it, 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 it you can see, you could, yeah, you could, you can, you can, I know you're going to come back with that, but you know, <laughs> um, but it, it showed the different backgrounds. So, yes. um, obviously, you're into music. Um, you've been, you are, have been a music teacher, you're a tech teacher. Um, you're going back to school so that you can become an administrator. Yep, educational leadership. Education, thank you. But you're also, I can go online and and the the music that you hear on the intro and the music that you're going to hear on the outro is Steve's music. Yes. I'm going to post a link to your YouTube page. Um, and so how did you, you know, okay, so let, let me take you back. How did you start 
getting into music? How did music come into play? Well, so, I mean, there's, there's the listening aspect. I always, you know, as a lot of people do appreciate listening to a good rock tune. I remember getting uh, Van Halen's 5150 and cassette tape back in the day. And even before that, my first cassette tapes, I and mean, if that doesn't date me, um, I got Dream of the Blue Turtles and Sting and Duran Duran's Seven and the Ragged Tiger. And I played the bejesus out of those tapes in my boom box because that's what that was called back in the day. Um, <laughs> So fast forward a couple of years, um, my father, he used to play guitar and kind of very casually by his own estimation. And then one day he, he brings up this old kind of like seventies, brown, ugly, really difficult to play guitar from the bass music. You can play this if you want. And I'm like, okay. So then I started playing it and messing around and expressed an interest and, um, then my, my uncle, who at the time, for many years of my life, until probably 15 years ago, worked for Fender, and my father was able to utilize that contact to get me a guitar, a better one than the one he brought up from the basement. So then I started playing that. And then from there, it's kind of your typical progression of, let me learn whatever cool song from the guitar magazines. It was guitar and the practicing musician. Um, you'd buy those for the tabs, right? And then I took lessons at the local music store and then I stopped when I couldn't afford it anymore and just can kind of continued out through high school. Um, you know, gu guitarists in high school, back when I went to high school, which was like the, the early 90s, it was, it was a community, but kind of a competition. It's like, who's the best guitar player in school? But it wasn't really a competition. We were all cool with each other, but there was always that kind of like unspoken, you know, that he's better than you. Like, oh, I need to go spend five more hours practicing at home because that's all I did anyway. Um, you know, playing in bands for the talent show. And then I'm like, I want to make a career out of this. But I know it's kind of a dicey career to go make money as a performer. Furthermore, do you really need a piece of paper, like a degree that says you can play? And I think the answer to that question is no. So I said, I'm going to be a music teacher. So I went to school to, for music ed, get a Bachelor of Arts in Music, a Bachelor of Science in Music Ed. And then I came out and taught, um, well, I first started, I pretty much taught every type of music class imaginable, ranging from fifth grade band to first grade general music, et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually I settled on middle school chorus. So that kind of seems like a stretch for a guitar mm. player, but you know, back to college, you had to be in an ensemble that was related to your instrument. Of course, there was no you know, large ensemble for guitar. So they stuck all the guitarists and piano players in chorus, which at the time didn't make me very happy, but I came to really enjoy being a part of chorus and then came to teach it. So in the meantime, I'm, I'm teaching chorus for the public school and doing, you know, my own musical endeavors in the form of uh, the band Grace Cell Green uh, at night. And it was most nights and you know some days i'm surprised i even got married because first of all i had in my now wife my phone number on a gray cell green business card um, <laughs> kind of as a forewarning like here's what you might be getting into and she didn't realize at the time but you know we started dating we had band practice probably three nights a week at least and we would play friday night saturday night i remember one month we had it was april back in 2000 i don't know maybe it was 2000 we played 10 gigs that month and practiced three times a week and we, we were on top of our game back then because we played so much 
And like I said, I'm surprised I even got married that my wife didn't leave me because she was home by herself so much. But, you know, we were honing our craft and I'm thankful that she supported me in that. And, you know, I think we got to a good place with that band and it was, it was loads of fun. We got some tunes on the radio, made some CDs, um, you know, it only progressed to a certain point. Our, our singer passed away, unfortunately, in 2007 um, from complications from adult asthma, which is, he didn't have health insurance at the time. Um, he worked in a, in a metal kind of machinist factory. So they were, they were, you know, fashioning metal parts and there's always metal dust in the air and he was breathing that in. And when he had, had asthma attacks, he had to go to a hospital for a nebulizer, nebulizer treatment. So that's not the best way to manage that. And it caught up with him and got the best of him. Uh, but you know, the positive memory I can relate something he had said to me was that if this is as far as we get, if this is as good as we do, I'm happy with that. And, you know, that means a lot. It's all, and it's all online. I mean, first of all, I know you have a following because I, I see it. People post every time you would post something at the time that was air quote retro, um, Grace L. Green, you had a huge group of people that would um, pump up. And then you also have a, um, a, you know, in effect, almost like a, it's kind of a, a dual, right? A bonfire acoustic. Yeah, it's an acoustic duo, so I think it's more befitting of our age, uh, partially because the you know we play at breweries, which tend to have earlier hours, and I have less equipment, even though my guitar pedal board is actually bigger these days, but I'm not schlepping four by 12 cabinets and such. So yeah, we have a duo, but you know, kind of made me think a funny story, going back to Grace Algreen for a second, and to relate it to gaming. Um, I was playing Call of Duty one of the black ops games it might have been three and my gamer tag in call of duty was Cell green and oh. i some you know we're doing our thing in, in team deathmatch or whatever and something pops up in the chat some some dude or whoever was like grace Cell green that, that the band from connecticut and i'm like what i'm playing call of duty and somebody calls me out as uh, being in the band i'm like uh yeah <laughs> i felt kind of weird but like yeah cool man so, you had a you had a you had a following. I mean, that wasn't just Connecticut; it was regional. From from, you know, and I and I did my research. You know, I tend to read. I read about the band. There's stuff out there that you didn't write. That's about the band that's still hanging out there from early 2000s. So you know, you had, had a press. reach. Um, we 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 had a, a decent amount of, of local press, regional press. And we did everything in our power to publicize ourselves. We would, um, you know, sitting in the same room where my gaming PC was at the time, we would burn CDs on that same computer and with a CD label stomper, would stomp the labels on the CD. We'd go to the Webster Theater in Hartford and stand outside after a show and pass out discs, put flyers on people's cars. We sold ourselves big time. Um, We played a lot of gigs at the Webster opening for you know, smaller national acts because, you know, it's like a 1200 capacity theater, but, you know, we sold tickets for these shows and, and we got to play for, you know, quite a few people. We opened for Sebastian Bach on a solo tour, Fear Factory, Jimmy's Chicken Shack, um, White Snake, uh, later White Snake, not like the uber popular version from 80, whatever. But um, we got around and at one point we had um, Dave Ellison from Megadeth had our CD. 
um, the train of thought CD. Um, and he actually called Rob, uh, the bassist. And I'll never forget this. Rob's like, dude, Dave Mustaine called me. He left me a voicemail or it was on his answering machine. I don't remember what he called me. He left, <laughs> he left me a message in my answering machine and he played it back for us. I'm like, holy crap, it's Dave Mustaine. Cause at that time, I don't know if he was, that when he was out of Megadeth for a bit or was in between things, because he was working for some music. I don't know if it was PV or not Fender. Uh, but anyway, he, he asked to shop us around and, you know, it didn't really go anywhere. Um, but it was cool to have our CD in the hands of somebody who like, I grew up listening to, to, you know, the big four Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax and Slayer and, you know, Dave Ellison had our CD. And to me, that, that was the coolest thing right there. And then we went to see Megadeth. Um, so yeah, I guess they were playing. We went to see Megadeth in Poughkeepsie, New York, and they actually came out. Well, some of them came out and hung with us um, because we kind of arranged with Dave Ellison that we were going to be there. And to me, that was like the highlight of everything. Like I said, it didn't amount to anything more than that, but as a fan, that was cool. That was great. I mean, you got, you know, you came out at the end, I, at what I would kind of call the end of the, the kind of the grunge era, the Nirvana Pearl Jam era. And you had, this is, this is very vanilla, but you had straight up good rock, which was hard to find. Um, well, thanks. Back I appreciate then. that. You know, so it was hard to find. And I mean, you, you know, obviously you all had your influences and everything like that. You know, could, did you, I never, I, when I listened, I never thought of it as alt rock or anything like that. I just, it was, it was to me as someone who studied as a musician, just music I could listen to after about five or six years of me struggling to find stuff to listen to. Well, so. I can tell you my perception of the influence as, as someone who's uh, directly involved. So at that point, I was big in Allison Chains, as I think most rockers were from mid, you know, early 90s. Um, Dirt was one of my favorite albums. I also like Steve Vai as a guitar player, so totally different there. And I also loved Dream Theater, you know, prog rock. And, you know, throwing Tool. So all of that was floating around in my musical brain. Um, you know, I'm not going to say I was proficient enough at guitar to... to manifest too much steve Vai or dream theater but i kind of had that rock slash kind of prog rock in the vein of tool mentality and our singer curtis kind of had the mainer james keenan tool type of voice yeah so he even can... he even channeled a little bit of lane staley when i'd listen i could i could hear it what he wasn't a copycat let me make that clear but he channeled that um, and I was big into prog rock dream theater. My brother had, um, I don't know. It was for somebody on majesty backwards was his license plate for a long time. It's a um, yes. And, um, I was big into sabotage in mm-hmm. the early nineties before Chris Oliva got killed in a, in an accident. Right. So, cause they were in Tampa and I lived there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. So, um, you mentioned Call of Duty and all that. So growing up, obviously you had music and then in parallel, I mean, you wouldn't have got, we wouldn't have gotten to the point where we were gaming online if gaming hadn't already been there growing up, um, whether it was analog gaming, RPGing or whatever, or online or not online. We were both 
around the same age. We didn't have online gaming, um, early video gaming, whether it was Sierra online games or whatever the case was. Um, what sort of gaming did you do growing up? Uh, well, growing up, like way early on, we had Atari and then progressed from to Nintendo. And um, I don't think I ever had a Super Nintendo. I jumped to um, PlayStation. I, I still have every single PlayStation I've ever had, ranging back to the, the PS1, obviously, um, through I didn't I didn't go past PS4. But, you know, so as far as console gaming, there was that um, when I finally got my own PC. And, you know, back then when I moved out of my parents' house, I started dabbling in some online gaming um, or PC gaming, I should say, which then transitioned to, oh, hey, you can play online with other people. So I thought that was interesting because, you know, you play against the computer, you play against the, the, the PC, it's programmed to do what it does, right? Based on whatever difficulty level, um, difficulty level or other factors. So I like Star Wars also. So I saw, um, I played Dark Forces, which is kind of like a back in the days of Duke Nukem, if you remember that yep. one. Um, yep. So Dark Forces was kind of the Star Wars Duke Nukem, um, if I'm remembering correctly. And then I saw Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, and how you could play with a lightsaber. And yep. what Star Wars fan doesn't want to use a lightsaber in a video game or otherwise? So went through that one. And I believe I played the the campaign. Uh, you know, the, you played as what Kyle Katarn, I think the character's name was. Yep. Um, and discovered the online portion, and that's you know kind of where, as you stated before, where we kind of um, started playing together. <coughs> so I jumped into this game, started playing it online, and you know how do you? how do you decide what server you're going to jump into to play? Um, you just kind of end up there based on what's open. And so I end up in this server that is labeled IF or Imperial Forces. And I didn't really know what was going on, but it turns out, you know, looking back, that was a clan, Imperial Forces, which at that time you were already a member of. And I, as I played there more often, became recruited to be in the clan. So that was kind of my the beginnings of my formations of online game playing um, kind of learning the, I guess the culture of playing in the clan. Um, and I thought it was the coolest thing. I'm like playing this game, but I'm actually hanging out with people and being in the clan, playing on a server, the clan enforces certain rules on the server that, that, you know, most people know you're supposed to follow, but if, if certain others don't, the people who are in the clan have, you know, admin rights and can enforce the rules in whatever way is appropriate. In the case of Star Wars games, it was force pushing people off the side of the the pad and into the abyss. But you know, <laughs> so you bring I it back. You bring it back memories. Yeah, it, yeah. And like you know, we were talking about before we started recording. Um, Jedi Knight Two was was the online version. The the clan portion of the game was more than just playing the Star Wars game. It was learning the culture of being the clan and enforcing rules. But also, we were learning a skill and that skill was how to engage in lightsaber combat and they had the various kind of uh lightsaber styles ranging from light medium to heavy um and that would change your lightsaber color from blue to yellow to red respectively and it was different moves and the moves were 
um, combinations of mouse clicks and the uh, what, WASD kind of key movement. Um, and we would spend a lot of time, you and I and everybody else in the clan, kind of perfecting those moves so we can duel each other, duel other people, et cetera. And I, I thought that was the coolest thing. We had clan meetings too, didn't we? Where we get together yeah. on, it was once a week, once a month. I don't even remember. And and I think you you this is what's interesting for folks is is this this idea beyond analog gaming, you hit it on the head. We weren't on this game to beat the snot out of each other. Um, we were in it. We had rules. We dueled. I mean, we literally practiced. Yes. It was you know it was we had practices during the week, um, and we had you know we were trying to I was trying to remember names of people and I can remember you know a couple of them that were really good. They'd have scheduled classes yep. on how to you know how to saber. So. Um, this was a structure that I don't think exists. And maybe I'm wrong. I've only watched my son play. Um, I don't think it exists in the same way. And it may have just been because we were a little older, maybe. I don't know. Mm. So. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I, I'm kind of out, out of that realm to a degree now. Um, you know, maybe some of the sports games would be kind of similar, but only as much as developing the skill. I spent a lot of time playing um, some of the latter FIFA games, you know, soccer on, on the PS4. And yeah, it was definitely a learning curve and um, a certain skill set to acquire. But that's you versus one other person controlling the other team. I mean, we had groups of people together learning how to, to work together and against people who were not in our clan when they came to duel. Um, so I just thought that that was the, the coolest thing ever. And it definitely gave a sense of belonging to something like yeah. a team of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, this, this idea of a team. And I think, you know, we talk a lot on the podcast about RPG and being creative and what fascinated me. Um, it always fascinated me because I, I never would have expected, and this is terrible. Hopefully it just doesn't come across as insulting. I never would have expected someone who was interested in gaming like that to be someone who was out there, you know, doing music the way you were doing music, not the way I did music growing up where I was, you know, when I was trying to classically train, um, you were doing more modern music, music I still listen to. So well, I, I appreciate that you still listen to it. It definitely means a lot. I mean, that's, you know, when you hear people talk about, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you live forever? Well, you, you put something out there that people can partake of forever. So if I made just a little dent in the universe with that, that's, that's means everything. But, um, you know, I, it's, it's easy for other people to say, well, I, I don't see how you could do that. I mean, you're out, you know, playing rock music and playing gigs for a whole bunch of people, but then you you, you play this or that game. And, and for me, it, it's a totally different perspective. I mean, it's almost like, you know, music is my life and my, the way to recharge my battery, it still is. But then I, you still have to have, in my opinion, other things that you do. If you do too much of any one thing, it's easy to get burnt on that one thing. So I think gaming satisfied something else. I mean, I, I think I'm a complicated person and I have needs. Music satisfies some needs. Gaming satisfies other needs. And even, even though I'm not big on the PC games right now, or I've kind of gotten away from console a bit, I'm still playing something on the cell phone. Even if it's like Candy Crush or something ridiculous like that, it's, it's almost like I'm compelled to do it. And it's not nearly the same capacity, but I 
get off on playing games. Maybe it releases dopamine in my brain, makes me feel good. You know, all the, the typical explanations, but I still like to do it. And sometimes I talk myself out of it. I'm like, you know, you should be studying for whatever for your class or reading a book or something like that. And I try to do all those things as well. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think I, I think you hit it on the head. For me, it was, you know, I, I don't do as much gaming as I used to. For me, a lot, it's it's, you know, reintroducing music and this idea, kind of the reason the podcast started was doing this. I did not grow up playing role-playing games. I had, you know, I got for Christmas one of the Dungeons and Dragons boxes and then the great um, satanic worship panic of the 80s came out and my family oh, yeah, was, yeah my family was all afraid that oh i can't play because i'll become a saint worshiper so the box disappeared mm-hmm. and um i didn't start doing this till an adult but for me it was because i worked in computers i still do i work with a lot of data um you know get, doing something analog for me was different mm-hmm. but also doing something musical you know and not horn which french horn which is what i played um, and you even put out on your YouTube page, you did, you, you, you've taken some of the music and you did playthroughs on them and I'll watch, you know, now this is creepy. Now you're going to be creeped out by this, but you know, <laughs> I'll watch, I'll watch you play the guitar on those. And I know the songs well enough now that I don't necessarily need to, to I, I listen to it, but I'm watching you play it at the same time how you're playing it like even tonight i noticed again creepy um i noticed how you were holding your pick when you were playing um you know and i look for things like that because for me i don't necessarily mimic but i like to see different styles well it's funny you mentioned the pick so uh just for other people's reference if anybody plays guitar you know, you can kind of get a picture of how someone holds a pick, but also think of your your favorite guitarists ranging from Eddie Van Halen to uh, Marty Friedman, formerly of Megadeth. Those are two very distinct and different pick holding styles. Like Eddie Van Halen had all of, um, he held the pick between his thumb and first finger, and then the remaining three fingers are kind of fanned out. Whereas Marty Friedman from Megadeth, he would kind of have all of his fingers almost into fist and his wrist kind of bent down and cocked around this weird angle. I never really understood. So just as an example of two different pick styles, but the funny thing is, so I used to hold my pick between my thumb and middle finger, which I think is what you're referring to, right? Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. now I'm sitting here, I'm mimicking it just to, again, creepy um, with the guitar pick. Cause you know, I always have one on my desk or you always have one somewhere. But you're right. It was it, it just it it caught my attention. <clears throat> and the reason it caught my attention is because when I started doing it on the guitar next to me, I'm like, oh, I kind of like this. It's a little more comfortable for me. Well, I'm about um, to burst your bubble. You ready? Yeah, yeah it's, so, it's absolutely the wrong way to do it. I know. Uh, no, right? I, I'm, I'm not going to say that because oh. you know, Jimi Hendrix, he had his, his thumb draped over the guitar neck, which is, you know, you know, is technically speaking, totally wrong, but doesn't matter. So. I, in the last year, I retrained myself to hold the pick differently. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> I now hold it between my thumb and first finger, which is quote unquote more typical, but I, you know, honestly, I can't even remember why I did it, but I felt like there was a need to retrain myself. So I, I now hold my pick between my thumb and first finger. But what I discovered is I have more fine control. So when I held it the other way between my thumb and my middle finger, the, the motion emanated more from my wrist. 
and in a large, uh, you know, a larger scale from my forearm, depending on how much I was strumming, you know, chords and things like that. Now in my, between my thumb and my first finger, which is more typical, I can engage more finger joint based motions. So like if you're playing really fast, you're not going to wave your forearm back and forth. It just doesn't go that quickly. So the motions are more minute. Plus I can tilt the pick at about a 45 degree angle to the strings. So it's a softer attack or less resistance more specifically. So then I was able to move the pick more efficiently across the strings. So there's a lot involved and I actually feel better about the way I hold the pick now. So I just thought it was funny you brought that up because I, I, I saw an opportunity to just totally burst your bubble and say, yeah, I don't hold it that way anymore. Oh, see, yeah. And the funny thing is I'm sitting here, I'm holding a Chicago music exchange pick. If you're, if anyone's into music, you've probably heard of Chicago music exchange, the big guitar company in Chicago. They're the ones that run reverb, which is like the eBay for music. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I sit, I I'll sit here, even when Jason and I record and I'll sit here with a guitar pick. Cause like you said, there's a nuance to it Two that also, and this is really nerdy. Um, two also, I remember watching, um, take it easy. The live version of take it easy by the Eagles, yep. Joe, Joe Walsh grips with his left hand. He grips that neck. Like he is trying to strangle it. Um, which I found fascinating. You'll see that. And then the other one is winning. I never watched Santana really play, mm-hmm. but Santana plays a Telecaster in the song winning, which came out in the early eighties. And you can see this giant wedge of a pick that he uses. I mean, this thing looks like a piece of pie. It was like a mandolin pick. Yeah, it was. I mean, it looks, it's just, just giant. It looks like he, he took a credit card and just cut the edges <laughs> off of it and turned it into a guitar pick. But I just, I find it fascinating talking to people who mix gaming with other um, endeavors like music, um, like writing. We had a guy on here, Jeff Ashworth, who um, was, wrote a book of like random, uh, random encounter components and, and dice tables. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was actually, he tried comedy. He wrote for WWE. Um, and so people like that. So for, you know, you coming from the musical world in, into gaming, people don't realize, I think that it's more mainstream. It was, it's more mainstream than when it even was 20 years ago when we were doing this all the time. Well, I think kind of related. So I, I've just recently gotten involved in, in D and D myself. And, um, I've been involved with the campaign with some of my colleagues at work, but leading up to it, I watched a lot of videos on YouTube of, of D and D campaigns, you know, D and D live from, um, just pre COVID. And I didn't know Joe Manganello was such a huge Dungeons and Dragons player and, and oh, yeah. advocate, I, you know, him, Vin Diesel, uh, Matthew Lillard. I'm like, holy cow. So what you said about me playing games, I thought that about these people with D and D and like, you would think back in the day, you know, when we were in high school, a guy looking like Joe Maganella would beat up guys who played D and D, right? Yeah. <laughs> At least that's the stereotype. Or yeah, Vin Diesel. I mean, Vin Diesel seriously. is the, you know, um, yeah. You watch, and it got so it got huge. I mean, obviously, doing it virtually um, over the pandemic, the whole we were talking about this the other day. Um, Star Trek Discovery, the mm. TV series, a bunch of them are playing online. Or they yeah. play it when they were when they were recording in the where they were filming in the bubble. Wow. Um, 
And, and ultimately that's kind of, you know, Jason, and I've talked about it for ages. We kind of got back into it that way. Um, you know, I wanted to play more star Wars. He had star Wars. Um, he's actually GMing a star Wars game now, and mm. it's a very different way of gaming. You and I can talk about this online another day, but, um, it's very different than D and D. What do you think? Just out of curiosity, how is it, you know, so obviously, um, back into it you watch this you see even like stephen colbert's into it and um uh, who, rosario dawson and some of these other folks that are you know like you'd think as a-listers um going and playing online with the folks from critical role or um some of these other twitch channels um how has it been going with with getting into the campaign with the people you work with how is it is it feel different than Okay, that's a stupid question because, of course, it feels different than online online gaming. Um, what's your vibe on how it how it you know how it's a release versus how it can be a release versus your other game that we were talking about? So you know, to relate it to online gaming, or I should more specifically to relate it to video gaming in general. I mean, to me, D and D might relate in my world, most closely to like Skyrim and then the, the Elder Scrolls games. I played a lot of those uh, on console. It's like the game slowed down because you have to go through the, you know, the turn-based uh, combat, um, rolling the dice to figure out what's going to happen, doing the calculations, everything slows down and takes time, but you have more time to think about things. So I, 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 I do find that neat, you know, having time because yeah, even though I've, I've played a lot of games online, I never in any way, shape or form thought of myself as a good gamer because there's some people who just rock at whatever game they play. You know, playing against a person is always way more difficult than playing against a computer because you can't predict what a person's going to do. So I never thought of myself as super proficient at video games and that's okay. But playing D&D, the, the, the ability to just slow everything down, almost like you're playing in slow motion and also, even though there's rules, the, the freedom you have within those rules to almost do what you want. And you know, earlier, I was listening to one of your um, previous podcasts. I think it might have been the, the most recent one. Um, you were talking about uh, GMing and, and the, the, the game master having the ability to kind of interpret things. And you had said something to the effect of when you were doing it, it was a, almost a way to disguise that you didn't know the rules as well. Yeah, okay. Wow, we have another listener. I love that you do. Yes, I actually, that was my way of, of hiding the fact I hadn't gotten the rules down yet. The but, DM prerogative. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, the, the topic of narrative came up. And I remember thinking, and, and this, this relates, you know, I, I'm tending to think that the narrative is almost more important because you, gain, you engage in a Dungeons and Dragons game not to win, really, right? Because win is subjective. Win is when the game's done. Win is if you don't get killed, right? Um, so if it's going to make the story exciting, and you're going to remember it because people talk about, hey, remember that, that that campaign we played how many years ago when this happened? You know, you don't talk about that much in the context of other games. So it needs to be memorable. And I think that's what I've been finding interesting about playing D&D. And I don't have that much experience playing D&D. When I was in high school, I had friends who were way into it. And I remember thumbing through the books. And I think I even made some characters, but I never actually got to play the campaign. So fast forward to uh, last year. 
some of my colleagues were planning a campaign or I found out who played and I said, Hey, can I get any yours? I want to try. So I bought the handbook, watched all the videos like I was talking about and got into it. And it's cool. The, if I have to play devil's advocate, the flip side, the downside is the games take a long time. It's like, you're sitting there for four hours playing and you know, we did it during the summer mostly, and I had time, but we, the campaign spilled over to the start of the school year and everybody, you know, not to say fell off, but we had to reschedule, reschedule several sessions because people were swamped because the beginning of the school year they had things to do. So it definitely requires a lot of time and patience. And you want also want to see it through because of the planning that goes in on behalf of the, the, the dungeon master. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, like Jason, and I, have, we tried duet duet gaming because um, I was learning, he was learning. So as literally I was playing a couple player characters at the same time I was DMing. So probably not the smartest thing to do. Um, but this idea, like you said, it moves slow. He and I, I mean, you know, we have, we all are professionals, families, kids, the whole bit. Um, you know, can you put two to three to four hours together to do anything? Um unlikely these days you know to do this type of thing you know well there's a bridge there i think because i one of my daughters my older daughter she kind of i call her mini me because she likes a lot of the same types of things she likes music she likes uh what we'll call nerd culture which is nothing but a positive thing now when it comes to watching all the the marvel movies and the star wars shows etc but point being she seemed to take an interest in possibly playing D&D. So I actually bought the essentials set, the essentials kit. Uh-huh. And, you know, with the intent of getting her and her friends to play in a game and I would DM it to learn. We haven't gotten to the point of actually pulling the trigger yet, but that's my intention because I wanted to learn the game a little better. So what better way to do it than have to be the, the dungeon master and enforce all the rules. So, you know, I, and I've seen a lot online reading various forums and such where people um, talk about playing with their kids, with their significant others, et cetera. And I thought that would be cool. I'm not sure I could talk my wife into doing it, maybe, um, or my other daughter, but at least the one shows the possibility of being interested. So we'll see. So to, to combine family life and the time spent in the game, that's kind of where I was going with that. When you, I mean, that obviously that became a big deal during the pandemic. Yes. Um, people were looking for things to do because we were all stuck at home. Um, well, I did a lot of videos during the pandemic. Like I, I did some playthroughs. I played through um, Master Puppets from Metallica, Holy Wars by Megadeth. So I was in, we kind of reignited Grace Cell Green to a degree with a different singer who sounds uncannily like Curtis and who was a fan of the band back in the day as well. So we kind of lucked out in both ends there. So I spent a lot of time playing and recording during pandemic also as the something else to do. You even had some videos where you guys were on different, just like the normal Zoom video music type of things where you were all on the screen playing. And um it actually, I mean, I like watching that kind of stuff in yours and others and all that, just because the creativity that, that goes into my brother's a professional trumpet player in South America. And he did a, a, a small little brass fanfare that way. Um, yeah. And there's a lot that goes into that. Just a little, little kind of history or for people who maybe don't know. Um, so me and the drummer from Grace Cell Green, Matt, and some other musician friend of ours, um, 
Joe, who sings with me in Bonfire Acoustic, and um, another guy named Mike Modest, who's a longtime friend and bass player, we got we'd played um, Limelight by Rush. So you mentioned the kind of Zoom thing. Well, we had like the four by four grid on the screen of us playing. And, you know, I did a little bit of, I don't want to say fancy editing of the video, but it wasn't just the four of us sitting there the whole time. But how we would do that, Matt, the drummer, he would record the drum part for Limelight to a click by himself. And he would send that out to me and send that out to Mike, who played bass. And then in my attic, I recorded the guitar part to his drum part. And then I could record the bass part. And then when the, the quote unquote music, the track was ready, we'd send that to Joe and he would sing over it. So Matt, who, who has, um, he has a recording studio um, in Connecticut here, he would mix everything together based on what we gave him. And then he would send me the finished product and I'd put the video together. We all record our own, our own perspective of us playing. And then I put the video together with that as the sound, uh, the soundtrack. So there's a bit of work and a bit of kind of, a certain skill involved in doing it, but we never actually played those songs together in a room at the same time ever. See you, you, that makes more sense to me because you know, as well as I do, you know, there, I mean, how much of music is timing? And oh, totally. if, yeah, if you have a hiccup with internet or if there's some weird delay, um, it, it, it falls apart. So, well, I don't think there's a tool available anywhere where you can play with another person in real time and, and not have some ounce of latency, which is death for timing and music. So yeah. Yeah, we didn't even try. We just said it, it, this, this, not to say it's easier, but it kind of was because then I could, you know, if I made a mistake, I could just re-record my guitar part. I could take my time doing it and here I'm done. Here's my part. See that. And I, I have to imagine that that's where, that's what happened with a lot. Of yeah. folks because again you know <clears throat> you can listen to other people and then record based off of that but trying to do it live i remember in, i remember in college my roommate and i tried to play thunderstruck by acdc yeah. we set up both of our cd players and stereos in our room to try to sync it so that we could have a double loud yeah. but trying to sync so that we hit play and the cd players you know with their low different loading mechanisms how we can make yeah. it work that's that's like easy compared to what you're talking about here, because now you're adding four different, you know, individual musical parts together. Right. But, you know, the way we did it, like I described it, it kind of I don't want to say it, it irons out some of the potential problems. But, you know, and furthermore, one other thing. So in the, the videos, we're not playing live in the video. What the, the, the audio that you hear is my pre-recorded guitar part that I recorded to the drums. What you see in the video is me playing along with what I already recorded. So that way it's a perfect performance. Um, yeah. Well, that's, it's still, I mean, you know, the work that, that you and others and I'll be put into it in the middle of a pandemic, because, you know, we couldn't go to concerts, right? We couldn't go out, you know, um, you know, I was, I'm, you, you probably see it. I'm more of an, you know, we don't necessarily talk about it all the time here, but I was, I've been a pretty strong advocate of vaccination and, and right. masking and everything. And actually tonight I'm feeling a little puny because I had my booster today. Wow. Um, so, but it's all worth it. But, you know, these type of things, it's just funny how, you know, and you're a teacher, you had to teach in the middle of a pandemic, From um, you know, so you know, I work for a company now that, that 
that works with software similar to that. We could talk about that another time online, but just just the fascination with how creatives like you and others did. I mean, you did music online, you taught online, you and I are now talking and doing this online. Look at what's going on now that didn't really go on all that often in 2019. You right. I, I maintain that that is as terrible as COVID was as a, as a event in the world, there is a silver lining and that is the, the use of technology and the conveniences that have arisen from it. I mean, you can go to a store now, go to, go to Moe's and, and place your order online, pay for it online and go pick it up in the doorway and not have to encounter people. And you can still do that. Um, I, I work in technology in my school system and I teach teachers how to use technology and so many teachers were so technophobic before COVID, but when they had to do it, they did it. And a lot have relayed to me. I feel better about it now because I had to do it. I've got the experience. You helped me as a coach and I worked through it. So there is, there has been a silver lining us doing this, like you just said. So, you know, there was some good that came out of this terrible event. Yeah, this, I think you hit the silver line. I think it accelerated our online usage in terms of virtualization whether like you said shopping yes you know watching i mean i we i watched dune uh you know over the it was over the weekend yeah over the weekend i didn't see it in the theater i watched it at home i could have watched it in the theater or i could have watched it at home having watched it at home i kind of want to see it in the theater now because (laughs) it looks amazing that's and see i think that i think there's a people some people won't but I think there's a, there is even a little silver lining there where um, people are going to want to t- see it at home and then all of a sudden pay extra to see it on a big screen. Yes. So I mean, we could talk about Dune in the whole other, other podcast. <laughs> yeah, we, there's a whole there's a whole Dune there's a whole Dune episode. You can come back for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've we've run long. Um, yes. I know you're a little under the weather. Um, and so I appreciate it for folks that don't know this is the first time Steve and I have talked live person to person ever, ever, ever. So it's like, we, it's like no time ever passed. It was, it was no. not like, Oh, Hey, how are you? And who are you? It's just like, we picked up from last time we were chatting online. However that happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. See, there's another, there's another little silver lining from it. Just yeah. the virtualization stuff. Yeah. So, well, Hey, thanks for, thank you for taking the time. I we ran longer than I told you, but I, but um, I think it was so worth it. Um, we'll have to have you back. And again, um, you know, Steve Matthews music is on YouTube. I'm going to put that as a link. We'll have Jason put it as a link in the podcast episode. Um, go listen to some of the playthroughs of Grace Green. And then um, I'm oh sorry, Steve, I'm blanking. The name of the song that you just released, that's the one I'm, we're using as the intro and outro. Yeah, so the most recent tune I, I put out is called Thy Rod and Thy Staff. Yes. Um, it's an instrumental tune, but there are um, some vocal contributions by one of my colleagues, um, Cassie Steinhilber. Um, so she's singing kind of a, you know, in, in classical music terms, we might call it a vocalese, where it's a melody song and a neutral vowel. So she did some harmonies in that style for me on my instrumental too. And, and to me, it makes the, the world difference in the song, but, you know, give it a listen, see what you think. And I, I appreciate your time doing so. Yeah. It, it's great music. This is how I'm, this is how I've always kept in touch. So um, thank you again, sir. And um, folks, we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>